I have been eagerly waiting for this Sunday and the theme that I want to share with you this morning. And probably uh, goes without saying or is uh, well understood by many of you when something's been brewing for a long time, there's a, there's a, lot, of, a lot of anticipation and there's a lot of uh, things that uh, want to come out and I'm just asking the Lord to bring out the things that uh, need to be there this morning. Before I uh, begin, I, I, I just want to maybe make a couple of statements or maybe make a statement. Um, and this happens maybe fairly often as we have sharing time and, and uh, the Lord has things run through my head. And, I, I just, I, so, and it really does apply to our, our lesson this morning, our scripture this morning, the sermon this morning. Um, as, I've, as I have uh, gotten older and have walked or watched sort of when the Lord allows me to watch my walk with him, it, it becomes more and more obvious to me that, that one of the great uh, deficiencies I have is my lack of prayer. That there's all kinds of things that I do and there's all kinds of busy, I mean, there's all kinds of just work that I do and I love work and I love accomplishing things. I love studying, I love preaching, I love doing all kinds of things. But it's become, I just maybe increasingly more, I, I become more aware that there's, uh, there's just a, a, I could just grow so much in the avenue of prayer. Um, and I was just sitting here this morning thinking, I mean, were you, were you listening to the sharing time? And I know, I know that not every situation that fits what I'm about to say was shared about this morning. I know there's others sitting out there that nobody walked up here and said something about it. But if you were listening to the sharing time, there's just so many things that are happening in our lives all the time that, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Like, we just don't, <laughs> we just, I mean, how, how, what's, what's going to change that? What's going to change that outcome? Yeah, what's, what's going to make a difference? I mean, you, you can try as hard as you want, but who's, who's going to save Stephanie's dad and siblings? Certainly, and I want you to hear this, because certainly uh, when she shares it in northern, well, southern Michigan, this right now, actually, but as she lives in northern Indiana, she shares this prayer request for her family. They live in North Carolina. They live in California. How, how is she going to have any, how is she going to have any bearing on what's happening in, with them? How is this story going to be any different in Brad's life? How's a young couple going to face the reality that they may never have children? All those things seem so impossible, right? They seem so impossible. And yet every one of those things is exactly why our theology says that we have this thing called prayer and we can connect with a God for whom nothing is impossible and he can change outcomes in people's lives. We've seen him do it, haven't we? We've seen him also not come through exactly like we want him to come through, haven't we? It does not make us question, it ought not to make us question his goodness. But I'm reminded, and, and I've been talking with Chris, and I've spent some time talking with Niall a little bit about and not just those two, but those two come to mind because I've spent more time with them than probably anybody else. But with the subject this morning, and uh, I'm just reminded of how everything, and I want this to be true for us this morning, everything that you're going to hear over the next half an hour to 40 minutes, I want, us, I want you to be recognizing that so much of what we're talking about is going to be dependent on prayer. Like if we, if we want... If we want anything to actually change, and, and, I, and I, I, I just went through a list of, of really big things that, are, that we heard about. But what about my anger problem? What about 
the sin habit that I just can't seem to get past. What about the stuff that's going on in your life or the stuff where you feel like you're just stuck and like there's like, I don't know, <laughs> there doesn't seem to be any forward progress or doesn't seem to be. What about all those things? Because those aren't any different, right? Those aren't any different than the big, the big stuff that I'm talking about. If we want or have any expectation for anything to change over the next year, which I'm going to tell you that I, I'm going to preach this morning from the perspective that we want things to change this next year. <laughs> I want it to be different a year from now. In my own walk with Jesus, I want it to be different a year from now. I want it in this congregation that we look back and we say, wow, look, look what's changed in a year's time. But if we want that to be true, I've got to tell you, you and I have got to spend a lot more time on our knees than I suspect most of us do currently. And I don't say that as any kind of slight on you because I just made my own confession this morning. That's probably the biggest deficiency in my life. Every one of the pieces as we go through this morning, and you're going to hear more about it as we go through the year, but every one of the pieces as we go through this morning, I think prayer has everything to do with it. And we'll talk a little bit about it, why perhaps. If you haven't already, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. I suppose there are a few sections of Scripture that are read more often than Matthew 28, the last uh, chapters, or the last verses of Matthew chapter 28. I suppose there are a few verses that are read more often than that, but I expect there not to be a whole lot of them. That's a pretty short list. Everyone knows what the Great Commission is. Probably not a single person sitting here this morning. Well, maybe I should, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say that too rapidly, but most of us sitting here this morning, if I were to ask you what the Great Commission is, you maybe couldn't quote it, you know, word for word out of Matthew chapter 28. But you could give me a pretty good idea of what the Great Commission is, what, what Jesus, um, and maybe you wouldn't recognize it that, but if I were to ask you, what did Jesus uh, expect of his followers? What did Jesus ask of those who were his followers just before he left uh, this earth and went back to heaven? Most of us would probably have some idea of, of, uh, of what that is. And so again, you're going to hear it now. You're going to hear it uh, through the sermon. You're going to hear it at the end of the sermon. Uh, again, uh, I'm going to be very upfront about this. This message and this year in its entirety, uh, in some cases as I sat there and was, uh, was just uh, putting stuff down and thinking through stuff and, and spending some time in prayer and spending time in conversation with Chris. And as I went through that, I thought, God, this seems really strange to me that this is going to be a theme for us this year of making disciples. That's what I put up there, make disciples. Because it it, it's like the understood of all of Christianity, right? Like, well, duh, that's what we... And yet, I, the Lord just kept bringing me back and back and said, well, this is what I want you to focus on this year. So this is not going to be about me sharing a whole bunch of earth-shattering information you've never heard before about what you suddenly come to realize, I should be doing this. It is going to be a reminder of what the Bible says and simply ask you and I the question, when are we going to be willing to be obedient to what God teaches in his word? Matthew chapter 28, let's start reading in verse 16. I want to read through the end of the chapter. If you don't already know this about what we typically have going on in church here, on the back side of your bulletin, there's a handout. If you'd like to follow along and take notes, that's up to you. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord Jesus, you are the one who said those words, and I take great comfort this morning as I attempt to speak from these words. I take great comfort this morning that the very last line you said, Jesus, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, which means you are here with us this morning. I don't want to shy away from it. I don't want to pretend anything other than the fact that if you are not here with us this morning, then what we are undertaking is of no value. We can spend lots of time, Jesus, 
trying to figure out what words mean. We can spend lots of time trying to figure out better systems or better, better processes or, or organizing things differently or, or starting some other program. We can start, we can do all kinds of stuff, but if you were not here and if your spirit is not the one compelling us and moving us along and helping us to lay down the idols in our lives and helping us to say, I do, I'm done with that part. I want a new, a newness in me that, I, that continues to grow in newness because I'm created in the image of you, Jesus. And bless them, your spirit is here compelling us in those places, then we're just, we're just doing church. And I, I don't want that. I don't want that. Would you teach us this morning from your word? And not just this morning, God, because this is going to be, <laughs> this is going to be a lot more than this morning. And I thank you for your faithfulness to us, for we, I certainly don't deserve it. But blessed be your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to spend just a few minutes with the text here this morning and making a few observations just textually because I think that's what good preachers should do is they should take time with the text to make sure we understand and walk through it. Then I want to make a couple of comments and I'm going to tell you right up front that today is going to be a very high-level view of this subject. It is my intention, uh, Lord willing, to uh, give us a broad and an in-depth exposure to making disciples, that this year is in fact something that it's sort of always there in the, in, the, in the, if not in the front of our mind, in the back of our mind, that as a church, we make disciples. That's who we are. That's what we do. We're disciples of Jesus Christ, and we make disciples of other people. That's just what we do. And, and I want it to be such that, that there's no way to disconnect that, that we cannot, we cannot think of or conceive of calling ourselves Christ followers without knowing that that means we make disciples because that's what Christ followers do. I, I want it to be linked together. It's one of the reasons why I went through the Christmas series in the way that we did, at least that the Lord brought us through the Christmas series in the way we did it, at least from my perspective, is that God saw our need and, and gave mercy to us. When God comes and inspects, then, then we know we're going to receive mercy from him because he sees our need. It's always there. And then he sent Jesus to redeem us. That's what Christmas is all about. He sent Jesus down into this world. He sent Jesus to redeem us. And when that happened, when we were bought back, there's no no way to disconnect the fact that now we serve him. We just can't do it. We can try to, and we do it all the time. In fact, probably for honest, most of us live a lot of time in that sort of in-between. We try to. We say, well, I, I, I want the salvation of Jesus. I just don't want serving Jesus. I don't want to give him my whole life. I don't want the lordship of Jesus. And that follows into this theme then. So let me just spend a few moments with the text here and making a few observations from it. And then uh, I want to just uh, sort of give you a high-level view of where I think the Lord might take us this year and, and some reasons from Scripture why we're spending a lot of time this morning and this year talking about this topic. Again, one of the things I think ought to be done with almost every Bible text that's ever preached is that you see that it is not just this text that says what, what I'm telling you it says, but that Scripture says this, because that way I'm not teaching things out of context. Observe with me from this text, first of all, that the disciples came to the mountain that Jesus told them to do, and they worshiped. And then there's this little phrase there. But some doubted. That's what it says in the ESV. But some doubted. I was actually uh, almost passed over that because I really wanted to get to the, to the red letters of the things that Jesus said. And then I, I kind of all of a sudden I went back. As I was passed and went back and said, wait a minute. The Greek words I just read there uh, change a little bit, at least for how I've always read that. To me, I've always read that it says that they saw him and worshiped him, but some doubted, meaning that a few of them were really full of faith and they worshiped Jesus. But a couple of the disciples were there and were full of doubt still. And when you read the Greek there, uh, it's actually just an article there. The word for some, the word that's translated as some, is just a, a, an article, like typically it's translated the, actually. It's the word for the in the Greek. And I think actually the intent of that statement is that they worshiped him, but there was some doubt there still. And I say that this morning because I think we, as we go through this morning and as we go through this year, I think it's perfectly okay for us to recognize that these disciples who walked with Jesus who saw Jesus do all kinds of things that we would say were impossible, and they yet they saw it in front of the, like right in front of them, they saw the eyes with their own eyes, they saw Jesus do all these incredible things, and then they saw that their plan fell apart because he was crucified, but then he came back to life. But I want us to see that even in the midst of that, these disciples were not, they didn't have it all together. I put it that way. They did not have it all together. 
There were still some, some, some slivers of doubt inside of them. And I want you to know this morning as I go through, and what I think is going to happen is it's going to put the bar like up here because that's what Scripture does. And we shouldn't back away from that. The bar is up here. God is perfect. And we should be like him. We're created in his image. And he sent Jesus to free us from sin and from ourselves so that we could be there. But when you say things like that, it makes a lot of us say, oh, I have so far to go. Which is true, by the way. Right? I'm not going to. It's true. Can you admit that? It's true. But I think we should see the comfort that comes from Scripture that these disciples that saw these things with their own eyes, and they worshiped Jesus. They were disciples. They were disciples. But there was still some doubt there. They weren't perfect. They didn't have it all figured out. When we went through at the book of Acts a couple of years ago, I, I tried to stress that a few times to help you understand that the early church, we look back at them, and they did a lot of things that we can, should learn from, by the way, but they weren't perfect. They didn't get everything right. I want you to observe with me Further in this text, as, as we look at the red letters, as we look at Jesus' words, that the word all, the word all appears four times in Jesus' great commission. It's in verses 18, 19, and 20, and the word all appears four times. Jesus says all authority. Jesus says all nations. Jesus says all commands. And then he says all days. Now, Quite likely in your translation, it says always. I'm with you always to the end of the age. But literally what Jesus said is pas hemera, all days. That's the word pas, P-A-S, is, is all in Greek. So he says all authority and all nations and all commands and all days. And when Jesus uses that word, he's not just doing so by mistake, right? He's not just sort of like haphazardly slipping words out of his mouth and saying, I just, you know, whatever word happens to come up, I'm going to say. But he's being intentional. He wants us to recognize, because the word all, I like to do this, and you guys know this, uh, so I've done this many times here, but the word all means what? <laughs> it means all, right? There's, there's nothing outside of all, right? And I say that, and we can chuckle about it, but I want us to see the reality of it. All authority. There's nothing outside of Jesus' authority. All nations. There's no one outside of who he doesn't want to reach. All commands, there's not any of those that he's like, yeah, that one doesn't matter. And all days, there's not a single moment of time where he's not present with us or uh, there with us, right? I want you to further, as we just kind of break this statement apart, let's just look through it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I could say this many different ways, but uh, the, the blatant or the blunt way of saying this is that Jesus is the ultimate boss, ultimate authority. He, it's been given to him. Listen, look very carefully. There's words in heaven and on earth. Again, I already specified the word, or uh, 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 folks have the word all, so I don't have to, but, but authority is a good word for us. We don't, authority is a good word for us because we don't, we don't like authority that well. Well, we like to have authority. We like when we can be someone else's authority. We like having authority over ourselves. We don't care so much when somebody else has authority over us. That's something that we typically as American people struggle with pretty good. We don't really like the whole thing of authority that somebody might have authority over us. And yet, I, I, there's no way to escape it. We're going to talk about Jesus' words just before he went back up into heaven. And one of the last things he says is, hey, by the way, where's all the authority? Who gets to call all the shots? Who's the guy who's in charge? Who's the boss? Who gets to tell you what to do? What's the answer? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's Jesus. Not us. Not someone else. That's Jesus. All authority has been granted to him, has been given to him in heaven. Do you notice there's a different word for earth, by the way? I think it's intentional again because I think it signifies the fact that in heaven, that's the domain where he's at with his father. He has complete authority. On earth means his authority extends to here. But he's giving room to the fact that, as Paul would say, that there's a, there's a prince who is the prince of the power of the air that has some a limited authority currently here on earth. We call him Satan. He has some ability to, to work for the time being. We know that door is going to shut someday, according to the book of Revelation. But for the time being, and I think that's why it's said this way, it doesn't mean that Jesus is not in charge here. It just means that his authority is different. In heaven, it's complete. On earth, it is not yet. It will be, but it's not yet. May I remind you, however, this morning, believer... That scripture is very clear 
that our citizenship is where? Our citizenship is in heaven, and from there we await a Savior, right? That's what Scripture says. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from there we await a Savior. So if Jesus' authority is complete in heaven, full, then, and our citizenship is there, what does that have to say about us? Once again, I make the same point. I'm sorry to beat you over the head with it. We don't get to call the shots. Jesus does. Our place of residence is there, and there, his authority in heaven is complete. There's nothing outside of it. Again, I repeat to you what I ended with last week with my series from Christmas. Because of we have been redeemed by Jesus, we serve him. There's no way to separate that. We belong to him. We belong to him. Which means that when he goes on to give us a command, how many of us get to say, well, that's, that one's not for me. That, that, I, I, I'm not part of that. Or his authority didn't quite reach to me on that one. How many of us get to say that? That's called a rhetorical question because the answer is self-evident. Here's the command, by the way. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Literally, directly, the command is go disciple all ethnicities. That's what those words mean. That's about how many words are there in the Greek. Go disciple all ethnicities. That is the command. Full stop. Now, there's some things he's going to give to us that are going to supplement that, but the entire command is right there. Go disciple all ethnicities. That's the word for disciples. Uh, make disciples is mathetua, which is the verb of a mathetes, which is the, the, a disciple. That's the noun. Mathetes is a disciple. It's a noun. That's us. Well, it's supposed to be us. And to make disciples is the verb of that. So go disciple all ethnicities. In other words, there's no one outside of, of the reach of who should be discipled. Now, I want you to understand in its most direct context this morning from this text, when he uses that word ethnos, that's the Greek word ethnos, that's why I said ethnicity, ethnicities, nations is fine, peoples is fine, but when he says that to these um, people, what ethnicity or nationality were they that he was talking to? They were Jews. So when he used the word ethnos to a Jew, when you say ethnos, that automatically means everyone who is not Jew. You might read in there pagan because they don't follow God. Everyone that's not Jew does not follow God in their minds. So ethnos is anyone who is outside of them. It's the same command, by the way, to us today, even though I want you to see the direct application of it for a Jewish person. There is still not any ethnicity or any people group or any nation or any race that is outside of who God wants to see discipled. Let me be upfront. There are plenty of times when I'm a fairly conservative, um, I'm just a fairly conservative person that shares a lot of values of what typically align with Republican kind of things that we politicize stuff all the time. So, so there's times when I see, from my perspective, a misguided effort at multiculturalism. And I stand by that because that's not the goal. The goal is to be discipled. However, the Lord has had to push me to help me to see that when my entire world and everyone who is in my entire world looks exactly like me and thinks exactly like me and does things exactly like me, then I might have a problem. Because it's hard for me to fulfill a command to go disciple all ethnicities unless I can say that literally no one around me is of a different ethnicity or race or people person or th than me, then I guess that you could say, well, I'm, I'm exempt from that. Although there's this unfortunate little word that says go, so I, that kind of wrecks that whole thing too. As we are going about our lives, much of the book of Ephesians, which we're studying, we're going to get back to that as we go through this year, which I think is an incredible book to sort of partner with this idea of making disciples. But as we go through the book of Ephesians, Paul uses the word walk a lot. He said walk this way. In fact, I entitled the whole series, Walk, uh, uh, I just went out of my head. What did I entitle the whole series? Walk as people of light. Somebody was going to say it. Walk as people of the light. 
And he uses the word several times. But as we are going, and that's what is contained in Jesus' words. As we are going, we should be discipling, and there's no one. I believe the, the whole, the, all ethnicity just tells us that there's no one outside of that. It's not like as you're going along and you think, ah, well, not them, because yeah, well, they, they they're, they're too messed up. Let's go. Ah, these, this one right here, I, I can go disciple this one. It's a recognition that when Jesus said, I'm living my life every day, that I am concerned about the fact that I'm supposed to be a disciple and I'm supposed to disciple other people. End of the story. It's actually a really short command. We like to add all kinds of things to it. I tell you again, the problem is not that we don't understand it. The problem is we don't do it. Now, he does give us two supporting or two, uh, that comes in two parts. We're to disciple all ethnicities, and we do that, first of all, by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. And this phrase is the indication, baptism is the sign of the covenant. So it's the indication that you are taking people outside of the kingdom, outside of the covenant, not under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and you're bringing them into the kingdom or under the covenant or under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is, the, it is the declaration that they have changed their citizenship, as I, since I used those words earlier, that they have changed their citizenship, that they have gone from the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of self, excuse me, or the kingdom of Satan, and have gone into the kingdom of light or the kingdom of Jesus, the son whom God loves. And when we are to disciple all ethnicities, the first piece is that. You can use all kinds of words. You could use the justification of Jesus Christ, that you're bringing people into a justified relationship with God. You could use the phrase uh, that, that you're bringing them into the kingdom. I used that phrase already. If our, our conference of churches were part of, there's a tagline we adopted a couple of years ago, and it goes like this. It's very simple. We exist to mature and multiply. And it's the multiply piece of, that, of those two words. The multiply piece is the piece that's about bringing people in the kingdom. And Jesus just said, you should, as you go, as you're out and about, as you're living life, as you're doing what you do, you should disciple all ethnicities, which part A means you have to bring them in the kingdom. You have to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You have to get them to recognize this great triune God of the God of the Bible is the God who has rescued them and the God who has redeemed them and the God to whom they belong asking them to willingly give themselves to him. The second piece comes in the next phrase. Because then you also should teach them, this is what it means to disciple people, you should teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. You should teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, depending on your perspective on things like this, you might look at the church and you say, wow, we do really good at the first one, but we do really bad at the second one. And I would say you're probably right. There's plenty of people who are very good at bringing people into the kingdom, and then they're just like, oh, you're in, and now I'm going to go do something else. And then they sit there, and they are baby Christians for the rest of their life, what I would call a baby Christian. We're not really good at the teaching to them to observe all that are commanded, the, the maturity piece. We're not very good at that. On the flip side, you say, well, from my perspective... We're really good at helping people obey or telling them how, how to live their life. We're just not really good at bringing people in the kingdom. And I'd say, hey, you're right about that too. Because <laughs> there's definitely uh, groups of people who are, uh, excel more on, on, on helping you understand what it means to live according to the Bible, but are not really good at bringing unbelievers into the kingdom. We could work on that, couldn't we? The reality is when Jesus gave the command, he said both should be happening, right? Whoever we see ourselves as a church today, I have my own ideas. I'd be glad to have conversations with you about it. But wherever we see ourselves, both should be happening. And we're not always very good at that, are we? And maybe you might say, well, from my perspective, Merle, I don't think we're doing either part very well. I don't think we're bringing people in the kingdom. And then those that are here, we're just okay with whatever happens. We don't really love people enough to actually call them to teach everything or to observe everything that Jesus commanded them. To which I would say, that's a big ouch. But it might be very true. This, of course, is the second piece to mature and multiply. It's the maturity part. It's the sanctification part. It's the ongoing work of bringing people into a mature relationship with Jesus Christ. 
which is difficult, isn't it? Hello, have any of you raised children? It's difficult, isn't it? It's an ongoing, long-term project. This is not a quick fix. This is probably why we're not very good at it, because it's not a quick fix. We don't, we don't just say, told you once, and now we're done. I mean, we can try that, but where's that getting us? Let me go to the final phrase so that we can continue going. And Jesus ends it by saying, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I structured that specifically the way I did it on the screen, just so you can see the key words there is he uses the phrase ego imi, which is the I am. He's very clearly referring to his divinity. He's equating himself with God. Every time he did this, when he walked on the earth, the uh, Jewish leaders got it loud and clear that that's exactly what he was doing because it made them matter and matter and matter and finally said, we're going to kill this guy. I also want you to see that Matthew is very intentional as he puts together his gospel because he's bookending it. When Matthew began his gospel and the angel came to visit Joseph, he's, and, and Joseph was going to put Mary away quietly because she was pregnant and Joseph knew it wasn't his child. And the angel came to visit Joseph and he said, Joseph, Mary's going to have a child. This is a little bit of my paraphrase. He's going to have a son. You shall name him Jesus for he came to bring salvation to all his people. And then Matthew tells us that this is to fulfill the scripture that a child will be born to a virgin and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew is bookending for us. That's in Matthew chapter one, verse 23. And at the end, he bookends and he says, I want you to hear Jesus himself say those words to you, that the I am, Emmanuel, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want us again to see this because I want us to know that as we continually bump into this high bar that I think we're going to be bumping into all year long, as we continually bump into that, that we are reminded that this is not about pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and doing better. This does not happen if the I am is not with us. So if we want these things to take place in our church this year or in our personal lives or in our family this year, then we must find ourselves growing closer and closer and closer to the Lord. We must find ourselves more and more submitted to the Lord. We must find ourselves more and more in love with Jesus. Otherwise, it's just about us trying to do better and to make ourselves right before him. And it will end up being far more frustrating than helpful. You will look back in a year from now and say, I don't ever want to have a year like that again. In fact, you might say, I think I'm done. And I don't want that. I don't want that from any of you. The I am is with us always, even to the end of the age. Which means when we pray, since I'm just going to bring that in, when we pray, he's always right there, right? He's right there. I'd like to give you this morning, I'm going to read a lot of scripture over the next 15 minutes, hopefully. 10 if you're lucky. It's okay to make jokes once in a while, right? I'm going to give you a very high level view of where I think we're going to be headed this year. And I'm going to tell you, it is only going to be high level because I can't, we don't have time this morning. It's going to, this is going to take, I mean, this will take us at least a year. It might take us more than a year to get to the bottom of this subject. Again, not that we don't know this stuff. It's in helping it, help asking the Lord Jesus to work it out in our lives. And we have plans. Uh, I'll just make a few mentions. You'll be hearing more of this as we come. Uh, two weeks ago, I did, uh, not two weeks, last week, I did a little spot, I called it Spotlight of Discipleship. Not everyone was here, so you didn't all see it. But I plan to do more of those, sort of sprinkled throughout the year. Just a, just a three to five minute brief glimpse by one of you to the rest of the congregation on some kind of scripture that has to do with this or some kind of uh, something that's happened in your life or something that, that's, that the Lord is doing in your life as it relates to discipleship, as it relates to making disciples, as it relates to discipling uh, as we go about discipling all ethnicities by baptizing them and by teaching them to obey. I'm also planning on, of course, having some more sermons on this. Uh, we'll, we will continue our series on Ephesians, uh, Lord willing, but there's going to be some stuff sprinkled in where I, I speak on this topic specifically. What is going to be new this year that we've not done before with a, uh, with a, a theme, an annual theme, I'm really excited about it because I think it, uh, it's going to help this just uh, get pressed into us a lot more, is we're planning on uh, having an entire Sunday school quarter designated for this topic. Like we're going to be spending our Sunday mornings before church uh, just working through some of the things that I'm going to share at a high level now, uh, working through those things. Niall, who's a Sunday school superintendent, had that great idea, and I said, I love that idea. Chris and I have been working on, on developing that uh, as it goes out. Uh, most likely, honestly, it's going to be starting in the next Sunday school quarter, so March, I think it starts in March. 
um, March through May. And uh, quite frankly, our anticipation is that all the adults are going to participate. Uh, so that it's not like we're going to have you sign up to take part of the class. We're going to say, hey, we all should do it. Um, so you'll hear more details about that. But we want to dig into this. And again, the emphasis or the eye is going to be on how does this actually work itself out in our life? Not just teaching us these things. I suspect the, next, the things I'm going to say, the scriptures I'm going to read, you all have heard them. You know it already. Question is, are they finding evidence in your life? So let's, let, without further ado, I'm taking more time and I should not do that. For me, it's very obvious that this kind of command from Jesus, this kind of commission from Jesus, breaks down into three distinct pieces that we uh, can't deny, that can't, we, we can't ignore. This, again, this is high-level stuff. This is, not, this is not the details. This is high-level. The command, of course, is to make disciples, right? So that's going to have to be one of them. But if we want to make disciples, there's an implied statement or implied command inside of this that is not explicitly stated but I think we can't get around it. And I think you already know what it is. But if you want to make disciples, guess what? What does that say? You have to be a disciple. You can't, I mean, this is obvious, right? You cannot make something out of someone that you aren't yourself. You can't lead someone to someone that you are not. You cannot make it a follower of Jesus Christ fully yielded to him if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ fully yielded to him. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I use this example all the time. If you've done discipleship with, with me, you know, you, you've heard me give this cheesy example. But if someone came to your house and they wanted to sell you the greatest vacuum cleaner in the entire world, this used to happen long ago. It doesn't happen really anymore. But vacuum cleaner, they want to sell you this great vacuum cleaner. And they would just, they just went on and on about how incredible this vacuum cleaner is. And, that, and they were like, you need to buy this. It's going to change your life. It's, you're going to have the cleanest house on the block. And it's the best thing in the world. And you would ask them one question. Is this the vacuum cleaner you use at home? And they say, no, I have a different one, tell me how likely you are to buy that vacuum cleaner. Not going to happen, and the same thing is true. You can talk until you're blue in the face about how someone needs Jesus, but if you cannot tell them or show them from your own life how desperately you need Jesus, it's not going to happen. We need to be disciples ourselves. As I thought through each of these things, I kept going back and forth and thinking, this one is the biggest thing that we need. And then I still the next one, like, no, that one's the biggest... Wait, wait, I just said about the first one. I don't know which one. Honestly, I think it might be this one. We need to be disciples. And this theme is all over in Scripture. Let me give you a couple of examples. And I told you I'm just going to read. I'm not going to make comments. We're going to read these verses as we get through the book of Ephesians. But I want to read them for you this morning. You have all the references. I'm going to go to over the next little bit here. I'm going to just read through them rather quickly. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's telling us what it means to be a disciple. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and created, I'm sorry, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's not the first time you've heard those verses. It's not the last time you'll hear them. If that felt a little too... Um, well, not applicable enough, like a little too vague or a little too like, well, this is sort of like, I don't know what he's saying. It's in general, like I got to do this. Let me just read another list for you that Paul wrote to the Colossians, and maybe this one gets a little more specific. I don't know if it's specific enough for you or not. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, and I'll just give you a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is neither Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And if you 
are tired of hearing the bad list, let's see the good list. This is what a disciple should be. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful... And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with all thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I could keep on reading. I won't this morning. I actually have a handy little section in my Bible from Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, in Romans chapter 12, that's actually labeled at the top. The section is labeled at the top. These are the marks of a true Christian. So if we're supposed to be disciples, we should read Romans chapter 12. These are the marks of a true Christian, according to the people that put my Bible together. Listen to them, please. Let love be genuine. Abhor Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Aren't these words familiar? You've heard them before, right? The question is, do they reflect what's true in your life? Is that where you're at? We could read this morning, it would take too long. Maybe we should. We could read... What Jesus uh, said on the mountain, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's filled with the very definitions of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. All those you have heard it said, but I say to you, that's exactly what he was telling us. If you want to be a disciple, this is what it looks like. He, he starts off with talking about who's really blessed by God, who really, who, where the favor of God really rests upon, and much of those we don't like to sign up for. And then he talks about things like anger, how a disciple relates to anger. He talks about things like lust, about divorce, about oaths, about retaliation, about loving your enemies, about giving to the needy, about the, how to pray, how to fast, how to lay up treasure in heaven, about not being anxious about things, about judging others. Boy, is there a person here this morning that hasn't been hit by one of those that says, oh, I don't need some help on that one. I've been hit by several already, just so you know. Talks about treating other people like you like to be treated. He talks about the fact that you can't deny it. the tree, it's fruit, it is what it is. What's in here starts coming out. That's what it means to be a disciple. And if we want to honor the command to make disciples, we better spend some time making sure that we are disciples ourselves. Plain and simple. So we're going to. We're going to spend time this year with things like I just read to you from Scripture and assessing, looking at our own lives and saying, Holy Spirit, is that, what, is that the fruit of my life? Is that what's in my life? Or do I need something to change? You can't expect to make a follower of Jesus Christ if you are not one yourself. The second thing after we are to be a disciple, of course, is to make a disciple. That's to bring them into the kingdom peace. We are to make a disciple. You know, I stumbled across these verses just, um, I think it was within the last six months, actually, I think. And I, I just couldn't believe I hadn't ever seen uh, the clear missionary call from the example of John the Baptist in the opening chapters of the Gospel of John. Let me read these verses to you. John starts off this way, the, the, the Gospel of John. You know the first verses very well. It talks about in the beginning, the Word is with God. You know those verses. But if you travel ahead, in verse 6 of chapter 1 of John, it says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Talking about John the Baptist. We spend our whole Christmas series looking at Zechariah, the father of John, and his prophecy when he was holding John in his arms. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And then look at this statement. Look at this verse. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And I read those one day, and I, I don't know if I was getting ready for a sermon somewhere, or if I don't even know what the context was. But I read those, and it just, it just hit me with the full force of the simplicity of that statement. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And I thought to myself, is there a single human being alive on earth today or has ever been alive on earth that this statement could not be said about or should not be said about? Is there a single one of Jesus' followers that that statement doesn't apply to? I submit to you the answer is no. Because every one of us should put our name in there and say, Merlin is not the light, but I came to bear witness about the light. I tell you, you should put your own name in there. That's why you are here. You are not the light, but you came to bear witness, to point to the light. That's why you exist. That's why, at least if I'm understanding Jesus' words right in his great commission, can I remind us this morning, partway through here, all authority has been given to Jesus. That means when he says something to us as a command, we don't get to say, it's not me. And then he goes on to say, you should go and make disciples of all ethnicities, of all nations, of all peoples. In other words, what I just told you, what John said about himself, or what John, the writer of the gospel said about John the Baptist, I should get that right. He was not the light, but he was here to point to the light. Again, other scriptures uh, would emphasize this. Paul wrote to the Colossians. Let me just flip this so I read it right. I could try to quote it, but then I probably messed it up and I want to read it correct for you. Colossians chapter four, verse five. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Best use of the time. Interesting, short little statement. Does not explicitly say that we should be uh, bringing people in the kingdom, but I would submit to you that's exactly what Paul meant. Think about the words he just said. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, toward those who are outside, those who are not in the kingdom. Walk in wisdom toward them, making the best use of time. Now, if you got to sit by Paul this morning, as he were here in our church service, and you would look at him and say, Paul, what did you mean by that? When you said we should walk wisely toward those who are on the outside and make the best use of time, what would be making the best use of time? How do you think you would answer that? I'm still kind of lofting up pretty easy, like, rhetorical questions, right? Like, how would he answer that? He'd say, well, you should, you know, definitely make sure you talk about the weather a lot because that's important. You should make sure you know all the recent scores from the game or you should try to find out what some common interest you have so you can share a lot of, and I'm not saying those things are bad, right? We have conversation all the time. And there's, I, there, that's not my, I think you understand my point, right? I think he would tell us that what I meant by that phrase is that if you are not intending in some way, somehow, if at all possible, to bring the conversation to Jesus, then you are not really being a witness to the light. Now that is most likely going to hit pretty directly to most of us. Because most of us spend a lot of our time interacting with a lot of people who are probably considered outsiders. And we're going to have a lot of conversation with them. And again, it's not that I'm saying you can't talk about other stuff. Clearly, you have to talk about other stuff. You're doing business or you know, whatever it might be. No question. But if I understand Jesus' command, right, that I'm supposed to be a disciple and I'm supposed to make a disciple, then I have to understand that when I have an opportunity to talk to someone who is not in Jesus' kingdom... There should be some kind of intentionality on my part that if I can in some way bring a conversation to Jesus, I should do that. Otherwise, I'm not, making, I'm not, very, I'm not walking very wisely. It also seems that these next, this next passage I'm going to read for you, and I'm going to just read through it, try not to make comments. It's so hard to do because the Bible is full of such richness. But it seems like this passage has been the recurring theme in my life over the last year, actually. I've just come back and forth, back and back and back and back to this. And I, I, this is probably why we're ending up with this kind of theme for this year, because in 2 Corinthians, in Paul's letter to the second, uh, second letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 5, let me just read, and it's going to be a longer section, so just, just hang on. I'm going to read, read it for you. He's just, in chapter 5, he's just talked about the fact that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that he's, uh, we're going to receive what's due for us. Uh, which do us in our body, what we've done in our body, whether it's good or evil. And the very next words out of his mouth, it's the motivation for Paul. The very next words out of his mouth in, in verse 11, chapter 5 of Second Corinthians, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing that we're going to stand before the judgment throne of Christ and we have to answer for what we've done. Therefore, knowing that, that, that fear, that, 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 
the reality of that, then we're going to persuade others. We're going to make sure they know that too. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known to you also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. That was specifically directed to the Corinthians there, by the way. Verse 13, I mean, it's to us too, but I mean, I'm just saying he's responding specifically to something that they were already talking about. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, some translations read compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Hope you're catching this. Paul is laying out his rationale for why he's doing what he's doing. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But it's really the next verses that get me because this part so far, we're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're here to, we're here to point to Jesus. We're his ambassadors. We're here to, but it's the next part that gets me. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, Paul says, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And here is how they commend themselves. Are you ready for this list? We can have a sign-up sheet out back here afterwards. See how many of you want to sign up for this. We commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, he says parenthetically, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Long list, we don't have time to go into it, that's what the whole rest of the year is going to be about, but I am convinced that if we have any expectation that the excuse of not talking about Jesus with people that don't know him uh, will wash when we say, well, it wasn't very comfortable, the time didn't seem right, and we lay it against the list that Paul just gave us, we will, if we're at all honest anyway, we'll see that we fall so far short. Because that list that he read, I don't know many of us, and I'm including myself, I don't know many of us that will go to those lengths or have gone to those lengths to bring someone to Christ. <laughs> Do we need to be reminded the problem is not that we don't know these things. The problem is we don't do them. You already know where this is headed. We should be teaching them. This is the second part of discipling all ethnicities is to not only make those disciples, but to teach them to be a disciple themselves. I want you to notice, just going to put a little break in there. I want you to notice that I put all of these in a very, dis, very singular terms. Be a disciple. It's, it's, it's like just addressed, it's like I could, if I could like speak to each one of you individually and say, this is what I want you to know. Because I don't want this like general like, hey, we are to make, be disciples. We are to make disciples. We are to teach. Because it allows so many of us to slip by and say, well, yeah, somebody else is doing that. No, I want you to read this individually for yourself. You are to be a disciple and you are to make a disciple and you are to teach them to be a disciple. And I do that specifically because I want us to see walking through this year that there's a place for every one of us to do exactly that. It does not mean we're all going across the, the globe to some other foreign location. 
does not all mean we're going to be working some ministry somewhere. It simply means that God is faithful and brings someone into every one of our lives that this could be true for. If you are a parent, it is, and if you have more than one child, it's not, not just one person, actually, because you already have those that are right there in front of you that God is asking you to disciple. And I think you probably know me well enough and know this church well enough that uh, that's something that uh, we are not going to back away from. The scripture teaches that it's our responsibility as parents, first of all, to disciple our children. There are great mission fields within our own homes. We should teach them to obey. Again, you probably know things like this, but when Paul addressed Timothy in his second letter, it's just this fascinating, this fascinating uh, way that he puts it that highlights something that I want you to see this morning. Second Timothy chapter two, verse one and two. He says, you then, my child, Paul speaking to Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And again, you may have already had someone point this out to you. Most likely you have. But I want you to notice that there are four generations or generations sometimes makes you think like age-wise. There are four iterations of the gospel spoken of here. Because Paul is saying, I want you to be strengthened and the things that I have told you, I want you to tell other men who can teach other people. Four iterations of the gospel going forward. I think it's the model or the mark that which scripture holds us up to. This is what it means to make disciples, is that I cannot say I've made a disciple if that person is not also becoming a disciple himself and making more disciples. You see how this is, a, it, is it goes around, right? Because we're to be disciples, and if we're actually disciples, we make disciples, and we teach them to be disciples. Well, guess what? Now that when they're a disciple, they're back at spot number one, which means if they're disciples, they're going to make other disciples, and they're going to teach them to, and it just goes on and on. I think that's exactly, by the way, what God intended. It's exactly what Jesus meant. And when it's not happening, we have to ask ourselves, which part of these are we falling down on? And maybe the answer is more than one of them. But which part of these are we falling down on? Paul was very clear to Timothy. I have poured into you. I want you to pour into those coming after you so that they can also pour into, because the gospel is successful. By the way, this is, people that study missiology, that's how they define a successful uh, church plant or mission field, is if it extends into the fourth generation. This is also true, by the way, this is, I shouldn't take time, this is true in all kinds of things. Those of you who have started your own business, or perhaps your parents did, or perhaps grandparents did, you can, you can mark this in, in economical kinds of things. The true success of a business comes when it goes beyond the first generation and gets passed on, because then you know that's really been caught, and the heart is there, and they're going to take that on. Many, many times, and I want to be careful I say this, but many times you see hard-established businesses and they get passed down to the next generation, and by the third generation, they don't want anything to do with it. And they don't care about it. It's not their baby. That's fine. That's not the point of the discussion this morning. But unfortunately, that's the kind of disciples we're making. I don't care about it in the business world. I mean, whatever, I could care about it, but it's not the point this morning. I care about it for us because we unfortunately are making the same kinds of Christians. Once again, you're going to hear familiar words. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul writes to the, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And you might say, Merlin, you already read me a verse like that. I did this very intentionally because in the Colossians uh, verse I read to you where he talks about making the best use of our time, is very clear because he refers to those who are outside. He's talking about those outside. He says one of the things you can do to make the best use of your time is to bring people in the kingdom. In this context in Ephesians, look at everything else surrounding uh, the, the, those chapters in Ephesians. Because in this context, actually, he's not talking about bringing people into the kingdom. He's talking about maturing those who are already there. In other words, he's saying it's also a good use of your time to walk wisely, to uh, to make good use of your time by helping those who are in the kingdom to grow and mature because the days are evil, because they, they, you want them to grow. If you would track back a few, a few verses, I would just highlight this. He's already said words like this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 11. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Can Paul say it any other way? He said it like three times already, what he wants the goal to be, right? 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I don't have to tell you this. The Bible is very clear that one of the purposes of us doing church together is so that we grow in Christ, so that we mature. And if we're sitting here week after week and nothing is changing, we have to ask the question, why? And there could be multiple answers, by the way, so we're not going to get into that this morning. But we have to ask, why? Are we not being a disciple? Or are we not being taught to be disciples? Is it okay for us just to be in church and nothing changed in our lives? I tell you that I say no to that. Unfortunately, by our practice sometimes, it's not true. I won't take time to read it for you this morning, but if you were to flip back to that long passage I read from 2 Corinthians that talked about bringing people in the kingdom, the very next thing Paul does is he talks about maturing those who are already there. Remember, he's writing a letter to the Corinthians. He's writing a letter to the Corinthians, and as he writes to them, right after what he's talked about, how they came and they opened their hearts wide and they brought them in the kingdom, he says, by the way, I'm writing to you because I want you to grow. And I'm sorry, this is, this is, this is why I sometimes say sorry like I do, because this is what Paul says. I'm sorry that that hurt or that was painful for you to point out some things you weren't doing right. But I'm not sorry that it hurt you because it brought you, these are, this is my paraphrase, but it brought you to repentance. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 7. That's exactly what he says in about verse 8, 9, 10 in there. He says, I brought you, the, what, those words that were harsh to you, that, that stepped on your toes, I'm sorry that they hurt, but I'm not sorry about it because it brought you to a place where you realized you weren't doing what was right and you repented. And let me just say this statement, and hopefully you can hear at least this statement yet this morning. As I think in relation to these things about being a disciple, making disciples, teaching them to obey, I think it's time we dispel the notion or the lie that repentance is only for those who are outside the kingdom of God and need to be brought in. Because if you read the verses in 2 Corinthians that I just read to you, if you go back and read that, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, five, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 5 or so, if you read those verses, you will understand that Paul is not talking about new believers coming in the kingdom. He's talking about people in the church realizing that they're not doing what they should be doing and repenting and changing their way. So one of the goals that I have for myself and that I have for us this year is that we learn that repentance is not just for unbelievers, but repentance is a lifestyle for those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. That we are continually willing to be reminded of ways that we're not doing things correct by the Holy Spirit and we confess those things and we change and we turn around and say, I don't want to be there anymore. I want the new man to be true in my life. Well, we've come to the end of a long sermon. Again, this is very high level. All of these texts that I read to you deserve just a ton of digging into. Lord willing, we'll get there this year. We'll see what kind of context comes out. And if you've been here before when I do a Sunday morning series or Sunday morning uh, introduction, introduction of a theme, you know that very often I end that morning with some kind of like appeal and I allow you to respond. I often open up the altar, have people come forward and uh, just sort of commit themselves that this is what I want to do this year. And I'm just going to tell you up front this morning, I'm not going to do that. And I'll tell you why I'm not going to do that. Because I am, the last thing I'm interested in from a message like this is for some kind of emotional response as you sit here this morning and you hear all the stuff I just shared. And maybe you're like, I just want you to be done, so I already wouldn't do it anyway. But you hear all the stuff that I shared and you think, oh, yeah, that's what we need. And there's some kind of emotional response to you saying, that's where we're going. It seems really wrong of me, and I was actually debating saying it this way because I kind of argued with the Lord about that, and I thought, I, this is, sounds wrong to say it this way, but what I'm really actually interested much more in is a cold, calculated decision by you this morning that you will open yourself up to the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit this next year and allow him to work on you. I don't want some big flashbang. I want us to grow this year. And I want us to grow in the area of, of making disciples, and I, to do that, I think we have to be disciples. We have to work on how we bring people in the kingdom, how we talk to them about Jesus, and we have to help those who are in the kingdom to grow, to mature, to become more like Christ. So I'm not interested in some kind of hoorah response from you this morning. I mean, it's fine if you give it. I'm interested in you looking inside of yourself and saying, I need this. I need this this year. And I'm not going to demonstrate it by walking up here. I'm not, if you want to, I don't want to preclude that. I'm not going to demonstrate it by walking up here. I'm going to demonstrate that 
by letting the Holy Spirit have his way with me. I'm going to come back next week and the next week, and I'm going to work on it throughout the week. And when I make a mistake, I'm going to confess. I'm going to repent. I'm going to find someone to talk to about this stuff. I'm going to dig in. And when we talk about this stuff at church, I'm going to be here. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give myself to this because this is what I need. God, thank you so much for your word because in it we find life. In it we find what we need for our lives to be right with you. This morning, God, I do not want to walk away or shy away from the fact that as we have laid out this idea of discipleship, of making disciples, that if there's someone here this morning who is not actually a disciple and just through the reading of Scripture this morning by the tugging of the Holy Spirit is aware of that, God, I don't want to move past that. And I believe very firmly in the words that Paul wrote to the, Second Corinthian, uh, to the Corinthians that, uh, that today is the day. Now is the time of salvation. Today is the day. And if that is you, you're sitting here this morning, I would actually invite you to walk forward if you want to or come talk to me afterwards and we want to spend some time praying together and we want to make sure that you know what it means to be a disciple and that you have entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ, that you've placed your faith in him. Lord Jesus, you came to give your life for us that we might be redeemed and we don't want to. I mean, it is the gospel. It is how disciples are made. It's an understanding of that. And then... Father, thank you. And I know there's so many things, there's so many places we could have gone this morning, there's so many things that could have been said, perhaps that should have been said. I, again, relinquish control of that to you, Holy Spirit, and invite you to press in those things that we need to know, each of us individually and together as a body. Press in those things that we need to know into our hearts and our minds. Don't, don't let it go. Don't let, it, don't let go of us. And there's things that I said that shouldn't have been said. I pray that you'd strike them from the record or cause me to know it, that I can confess it. But there's this real sense, God, for me, and it's been echoed by a few others that I've been talking to you about this stuff. There's a real sense, I'm just going to say this up front, Father. I'm going to say this publicly in front of the entire congregation. There's a real sense for me, God, both for me personally, but for us as a church. There's a real sense that you have been leading us to this point. That as we have been brought to different books of the Bible over the years, we've studied, we've studied the, the Gospel of Luke, we've studied the, the book of Acts, we've studied the book of Nehemiah. We're, we're in the middle of Ephesians. And as we look and we couple that with just some of the things happening in the world around us, and we sense that, the, that the, the day is drawing much closer, much more rapidly than we might have thought, where it's going to be very clear that we must, make a distinct, uh, we must be distinguished, we must make a decision about whether we are disciples or not, what that looks like. And that, that positions us to reach out to a community of people around us here that also need to make that decision. The lines are going to be drawn much more clearly, Father. And we, I believe, and we choose to believe this morning that you are bringing us to this place for a reason. Out of your great love for us, out of your great mercy and grace working in us, that we might actually grow in becoming your ambassador this year. Oh God, I pray for it to be so. And I want to be, oh God, may it just come out over and over again. It is not about us. It's not about, it's not about what we're going to do as a church. It is not. I mean, we, God, we, we want to revolutionize this community in the name of Jesus Christ. But it's not about us. We don't want it to even be known that we did it. We want the Holy Spirit to change people's lives so that they are prepared to meet their maker. We want to be like John the Baptist. We're not the light, but we're here to point to the light of Jesus. It's all not going to be done in one day. It's not going to be done in one morning, Father. And we commit to you to the long haul of being disciples, of making disciples, and of teaching them to obey. Pray this in Jesus' name.